Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Hello and welcome to another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. I'm Arjun Kapoor in Guangzhou, China. But today we're going to be speaking about El Salvador because it's become the first country to adopt Bitcoin as a legal currency. Now, this is a really big deal because for such a long time, Bitcoin proponents around the world have been urging countries to adopt Bitcoin, to embrace the digital currency. And now we have our first real world example of that, our first real world experiment to see how that plays out. Now, it was President Nayib Bukele, the president of El Salvador, who introduced the Bitcoin law into the legislative system. Uh, it passed the Congress's vote and has now been adopted as law. And, and that law is interesting because it gives some of the reasoning around why El Salvador wanted to adopt Bitcoin as a legal currency. And I just want to read some of that for you because in there it says 70% of the population does not have access to traditional financial services. And Bitcoin is seen as a way uh, to potentially help solve that problem as well. Now, a big, another big part of the picture here is remittances. This is money uh, Salvadorans outside of the country are sending back home uh, to their families, for example. Now, remittances in 2020 the country received nearly $6 billion worth of remittances, accounting for nearly 25% uh, of its GDP. And Bitcoin is touted as a way to make remittances, that money transfer process, faster uh, and cheaper as well. President Bukele has also claimed that Bitcoin could give the country uh, a GDP boost. But adopting Bitcoin as legal tender, as a legal currency, what does that actually mean? Well, according to the law, it means prices can be expressed in Bitcoin. It means taxes can be paid in Bitcoin. It means exchanges in Bitcoin are not subject to capital gains tax uh, as well. And there is a line in there which is interesting because it stirred a bit of controversy. And that line says this, every economic agent must accept Bitcoin as payment when offered to him by whoever acquires a good or service. Now, the reason it stirs some controversy is because it appears to compel everyone selling a good or service to accept Bitcoin. But what if they don't want to? That's just one of the many questions here on top of the fact that we know Bitcoin is extremely volatile. You know, if you're a merchant one day, you accept Bitcoin as payment and that moves 10% down or 10% up in the next hour or so. That volatility, that uncertainty could be quite unsettling as well. And there's so many other questions. For example, is El Salvador's digital infrastructure ready, given the fact that this is a digital currency? There's going to be a lot of infrastructure that needs to be put in place, as well as education as well for people who may not ever have heard of Bitcoin. So, so certainly lots of questions. And really, to get to the bottom of these questions, uh, I'm joined now by Rachel Ziemba, adjunct senior fellow at the Center for a New American Security. Her focus is very much on finance, uh, economics, and the links between those and security issues as well. So, Rachel, there's a lot of questions and, and concerns about El Salvador's move to make Bitcoin legal tender. One of those is the fact that the US dollar is already the official currency uh, there in El Salvador. What does it mean then by bringing something like Bitcoin into the system? 
So the biggest thing is that the government of El Salvador is introducing Bitcoin as this alternate uh, legal tender, which basically means that if one goes into a store and does a transaction or has a debt uh, with another individual, that they have to accept Bitcoin. And so El Salvador is a little bit unique because it's one of the few countries that uses another country's currency um, as its legal tender. So there's some countries that um, pegged to the U.S. dollar. There's other countries that sort of use their own, but El Salvador is already using another currency. So they've already ceded monetary control. What they're doing now is they're saying that private sector, that individuals have to accept Bitcoin. And so what's unique about that is they're moving from what has been a rather cash-based economy to one in which uh, Bitcoin is a digital asset. So they're in some ways making several leaps at once. Yeah, there's there's some some lot to unpack there. I mean, just practically, you know, other examples of countries having sort of two currencies as legal tenders. I mean, how do sort of multiple currency systems sort of work in the world? Sure. So what's one of the things that's unique about El Salvador is that they have two official currencies as legal tender. There's plenty of countries where you might have one currency. But then you go into a shop and they'll accept another currency, U.S. dollars or euros often, or individual transactions will take place in those countries. You see that a lot in countries where the currencies are volatile, places like Nigeria, places like Turkey, but that's not necessarily official. And so that doesn't require, say, the shopkeeper or whoever to accept the, that, that other currency. What's unique about this, beyond the fact of it being Bitcoin, is that there's two assets that are um, not co-moving and one that's very volatile. So beyond the digital question, you have uh, a whole sort of society that is probably not used to the sheer volatility of Bitcoin and questions about access to it. And that's really a huge point, isn't it, Rachel? The volatility of Bitcoin. You know, uh, I'm a merchant and someone pays me in Bitcoin today, then there's a big, you know, eight, nine percent crash the next day. And now, you know, I've lost that value. Or, you know, the other question is, if you're talking about any kind of debts or anything like that, you know, what price is this going to be determined? In? Is it going to be in Bitcoin, USD? I mean, is it going to be from, from the point at which you sort of got the debt or, or when the debt is due? There's so many questions around that volatility, isn't there? There are. And I think that's going to mean a lot of people could lose a lot of money or perceive, you know, money and value, particularly given that, you know, El Salvador is a country that relies a lot on remittance flows being sent from the U.S. in particular. It's one of the countries that's reliant heavily on these transactions. And so there might be an anticipation that X amount of this transfer is going to buy Y amount of goods at home. And there could be a lot of questions there. As the law seems to be written right now, and there are many questions about that. It seems to require any transaction that debts should be allowed to be settled in Bitcoin. But I think there's a real sort of question about that. There are plenty of other transactions globally that might be conducted in Bitcoin, but, you know, sort of rents that are taken, sort of purchases that are made. But often they're quickly converted into a fiat currency. And I think there is a real sort of question mark about how that's going to work in, in El Salvador. And, you know, and who's going to bear that cost of that volatility? And the risk is that some of the 
average citizens are going to be the ones that pay for that, as well as the private sector entities that are going to be struggling to think about how are they hedging these risks. There are not a lot of tools. There are also other risks involved, including transaction costs of of converting. And if we sort of, again, read the law as it's written, you know, it compels people, merchants or anyone to, to accept Bitcoin, you know, and they can't refuse that. But the other point, and I think you've mentioned it before, is uh, the fact there is this kind of digital divide to some extent in, in uh, El Salvador, uh, and and that you know, given the fact that that Bitcoin is seen as a is a digital format, you know, that can make things very difficult, right? I think that that's true. El Salvador is a country where the majority of transactions to this point have been cash based. Because the U.S. dollar is legal tender, that actually has meant that the government has had to import and make sure there's sufficient dollars available. The U.S. government, you know, has facilitated that. I mean, the amount of dollars used in El Salvador drop in the bucket of the sort of turnover um, of the U.S. dollar markets on a daily basis. But that sort of transition question marks of what happens if uh, cell service or um, Wi-Fi service goes down. Um, what about people losing access to perhaps their accounts? There's all sorts of things that we see in other countries that I think could be magnified if this was something that was going to be a legal tender as opposed to just an alternate means to, say, get money out of the country. In El Salvador's case, I do think this is really a a bit of a story of trying to rebrand the country, provide some buzz, but also try to perhaps reduce some of the reliance on the U.S. But I think it may sort of create a whole number of other problems while perhaps trying to alleviate one problem. What would you say are then some of those other problems? Sure. So I think this question of, of connectivity, this question mark of whether there's going to be local mining of Bitcoin and what the electricity bill would look like for that, question marks about whether this is going to backdate past transactions versus future transactions, question marks about what happens if uh, the volatility leads to significant losses. We'll get right back to the conversation after this short message. Subscribe to the Squawkbox Europe Express podcast. Join Steve, Karen and myself, Arabile, in unscripted and dynamic debate around the day's top stories with first and exclusive interviews of the best in business and global newsmakers, original points of view and instant analysis of the latest business news and key market themes. Get set for the day ahead. Squawkbox Europe Express podcast, now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. What would you say then are the um, main motivations uh, behind El Salvador's decisions there? Because you mentioned an interesting one just now, and, and that was around reducing reliance on the US dollar. Why is that important? And, and what do you think some of the other considerations or motivations are here? Sure. So El Salvador's adopted the US dollar um, more than, you know, around 20 years ago. Um, and they did that. They're not the only country that, that uses the U.S. dollar as legal tender. Countries like Ecuador do it as well. Other countries peg to the U.S. dollar, um, Hong Kong, um, the Gulf states, just to name a few. All of these countries in different ways are looking for 
currency stability that comes from sort of pegging to an external hegemon or external entity. Now we could look at it and say the dollar is not super stable. It fluctuates against other major currencies. It fluctuates against commodities. It fluctuates against these issues. But a country like El Salvador, which had gone through cycles of boom and bust and inflationary cycles, they were basically tying their hands and saying, we can't manage our own monetary policy. And so we'll just sort of import the monetary policy from the Fed. And that can create its own problems because the Salvadorian economic cycle doesn't always line up with that of the U.S., So you could have monetary tightening at a time when the alternate was needed in in El Salvador. But I digress. The main, you know, kind of issue here, I think, is a challenge that uh, because of the reliance on the U.S. dollar, there's a need for strong correspondent banking relationships with the U.S. There's a need for intermittent importing of the physical currency, particularly since, you know, dollar bills do wear out right over time. And as the U.S. has more and more of a focus and concern about anti-corruption, we've seen the White House label corruption as a national security challenge. We have several members of the government of El Salvador, you know, under investigation for money laundering issues. It strikes me that looking for alternate ways of transferring funds, of transferring wealth, generating wealth that don't have as much of a U.S. exit would be attractive. The challenge is that the U.S. Treasury has a long arm, and uh, we know that there's a lot of extraterritorial application of sanctions and other measures, not only when you're using the U.S. dollar. So I don't think that this move to Bitcoin necessarily removes these concerns. Rachel, I, d- I do want to ask, is there is there an economic argument here? Because I want to read you something that President Bukele said, and he, he said, you know, Bitcoin has a market cap of $680 billion. If 1% of it is invested in El Salvador, that would increase our GDP by 25%. Uh, obviously, that's it's not entirely correct. Uh, but you know, w- will this have effect on, on growth at all? Uh, or can it have an effect on growth at all in El Salvador? So I think it, it can have an impact. The question mark goes back to, does adopting Bitcoin as a legal tender lead to new innovation in Bitcoin and blockchain technology? Does it, does the government do other policies perhaps to encourage uh, Bitcoin farming or that innovation? I mean, we've seen other countries in places like Bermuda and elsewhere sort of invest a lot in kind of, you know, digital sandbox without adopting another currency. They've, you know, been able to sort of develop this industry. I think the key is it's not just about um, the adoption, it's about all the other infrastructure. Just having a certain amount of Bitcoin present in the country doesn't necessarily increase GDP. GDP is about what's produced in the country. So the assets matter. The question is, are the assets being deployed to build new uh, real estate projects? Are people investing in new businesses? And so I would say that domestic economic policy, any sort of government investment projects, those probably matter more than just the use of Bitcoin. I mean, anything that makes it easier for foreign and local investors to set up businesses to sort of create value 
that's going to be what the game changer is more so than just what's the legal tender. Great. And Rachel, do you think there are other countries at this point looking at this, uh, considering, I mean, can you see any countries around the world that, that might find Bitcoin an attractive option also to make it legal tender? Sure. So so there are, I mean, I've heard of some other countries that are considering it, uh, particularly some of uh, El Salvador's neighbors. In fact, there do seem to be a little bit of copycat sort of activity. I think in general, what I think we'll see more of is countries using and adopting blockchain technology and perhaps developing also their own digital assets. We've had a big increase, and I'm sure you've talked about it a lot on the podcast, we've had a big increase in central bank digital currencies, interest, obviously pilot projects. I think we'll probably that lowers transactions costs. It also probably increases the ability of governments to monitor activities. For some countries, that might be a design feature, not a flaw. Um, but I could see more countries wanting to make it easier for their population to engage in financial transactions and lower those costs, reduce some, some of those transactions costs. And while the government and the central bank still maintains a degree of control over capital inflows. So I definitely see that happening more with large countries. But even some of the smaller ones, uh, small, you know, sort of, but you know, moderate-sized emerging markets, I see them sort of preferring that sort of control over what's uh, transiting through their their financial borders. Great, Rachel. Yeah, we certainly have spoken a lot about central bank digital currencies. It's an interesting topic. I think that's going to have to be another episode, though. At this point, uh, thanks so much for for talking to me today about El Salvador Bitcoin. It's been fantastic having you on. Thanks. Pleasure. Pleasure to chat. So all eyes are going to be on what country is next, which country is going to follow El Salvador's example in adopting Bitcoin as legal tender. Now, the El Salvador decision has certainly caused some stir globally amongst financial institutions. The World Bank actually rejected the country's request uh, to help it with implementing this Bitcoin rollout. The World Bank citing environmental and transparency shortcomings related to Bitcoin. Now, you heard Rachel there also mention central bank digital currencies or CBDCs. They're effectively digital versions of fiat currencies being developed by central banks around the world. And that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and what kind of impact that will have on other digital currencies like Bitcoin as they continue to roll out. Of course, remember, central bank digital currencies are very, very different from Bitcoin in the sense that the central bank digital currencies are issued by a central bank, a central entity. Of course, Bitcoin is, is uh, known as a decentralized currency. But we've got a whole episode on central bank digital currencies if you want to know more on Beyond the Valley. So certainly uh, take a listen as well. But there are certainly lots of questions going forward as we watch this El Salvador experiment play out. It's going to be a fascinating one. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm on at Arjun You can also comment below in the comment section and don't forget to subscribe to cnbc international's youtube channel as well that's it for another episode of cnbc's beyond the valley i'm arjun Kapoor. thanks for watching and listening and i'll catch you next time beyond the valley